Leo Tolstoy, maybe the greatest, certainly one of the greatest novelists of the 19th century. The only other person I can think of is Dostoevsky. They're both Russian. He had a big question. And that question was this. What meaning has my life that the inevitability of death does not destroy? It's something he wrestled with personally. What meaning has my life that the inevitability of death does not destroy? And that is one of the most fundamental questions that we can ask as human beings. People live as if there's meaning, but so many people don't have an answer for death. If death is, is truly the end for you, you cannot give cogent reasons for any meaning in your life. There's a great scene in one of my favorite sci-fi movies, um, Blade Runner, where the antagonist, who's essentially a cyborg, but he looks fully human, is sitting up on a rooftop crying, and he, he just says he's, he's been programmed to die, to, to, to wind down after seven years, and he's fighting for life. He's fighting for immortality. And he's winding down as he speaks, um, reaching his, his termination point. And he says, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Um, I've seen sea beams um, glitter off the shoulder of Orion. I've seen, um, I've seen convoy ships on fire. Um, uh, yeah, I've seen convoy ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I've seen sea beams glitter off the Tannhauser Gate. All those memories gone like tears in rain. And it's raining and he's, he's essentially crying. And it's a poignant scene. And then he winds down and can't say dies, but he stops working. And it really brings this Tolstoy's question uh, to the fore. And, and, and he understood, and the author, Philip Dick, who was an atheist of, of the book that became the movie Blade Runner, really understood that, you know, as obvious as it is to, this, to, to see something that has a seven-year lifespan and then it winds down, um, to see that, that that thing's life is really totally inconsequential. Um, for some reason, we fool ourselves into thinking that if we live a little longer... Um, our lives have meaning even if death is the end but it doesn't matter if you, if you live a thousand years if death is the end then it renders your entire life without consequence if there's no continuation what meaning has my life that the inevitability of death does not destroy and David here plunges us down into the trough of the psalm he goes, he takes us from verses one through three, which deal with God being our shepherd and, and we his sheep, with, which deals with uh, eating and drinking, finding pasture, being by quiet water, resting, being restored and rescued, all these pleasant and wonderful things. And of course, he sort of touches, t- begins to touch on the plunge here in verse four into death in verse three when talking about being restored, because really what he's saying is I'm, I'm brought back. Brought back from where? 
brought back from wandering. I'm rescued from what? Death. So he's, he's giving intimations of it, but he hasn't spelled it out. Well, here in verse four, he just plainly opens up and says, the, word, the, fir, the first word in the Hebrew is the first word in the English translation in the ESV. Uh, um, even, even though in the Hebrew it could be translated um, also, also if I walk. So in other words, it's a transition. Hey, all this good stuff, but also he's my shepherd even in death. So he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and, you know, that's, that's really what, what's David saying here? Is he saying, even though if I walk through death, um, if I walk close to death, well, he's saying a bunch of things. There's a, there's a real, a layered, uh, textured fullness to, to this, to this wording here. Literally the, the Hebrew means the death shadow. It's one word that both of those words are pushed into. Um, and I think that one thing he's saying is even even when we live, we're in death's shadow. Now, sometimes we're eating, sometimes we're drinking, sometimes we're lying down and resting. But even then, if we're honest, uh, and sometimes we get closer to death in this life, we have, we have um, brushes with death. I just had lunch with a, an Afghan man who's had many brushes with death, and he's only 24. He's almost half my age. And... Uh, He's lived a very hard life and he's looked death in the face, some of us more than others. But the fact is, and I think David really gets to this here with the, with the word shadow of death, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, death looming over me. When? Always. Always, right? The, the scriptures are clear. In, in Genesis 3 the curse is pronounced on man and woman and, and God says you were taken from dust and you're going to return to dust. And indeed we all do. We're all buried in the ground or cremated, but we're going back to the very thing that we came from. We, we start walking toward the grave with our first breath. So there's a sense in which we, we are always walking toward death. Ecclesiastes one verse four in the prologue, it says a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. It, it starts purposefully with not a generation comes. You would think he would say a generation comes. We're born and we die. He doesn't say that. He says a generation goes. That's how he starts the verse. In other words, we're always heading toward death. And then Paul in Romans, his magnum opus, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says what? For the wages of sin is death. We die not because we're supposed to. We're not supposed to. We die because we, we sin and are born into sin through our inheritance in Adam. And we have to be delivered from that. And if we're not, nothing in our lives has meaning. And we know that that's not true. We know that there is meaning in life, but it's rendered null and void. It's erased. It's effaced completely if death is the door that we walk through um, from which there's no exit. And so we have to have an answer for death. And we have to have a confidence of being able to walk through death and having not just no fear that we, because we tell ourselves not to fear, that we just conjure up out of thin air, but a truly, a true confidence that we don't even need to fear as death hangs over us, as we walk toward death, as we walk through death's door, which we all will. And so what is David's confidence? That's, that's the question. And, and of course, the answer is what follows that, right? 
and we'll get there. But the um, one scholar that I've mentioned before and we'll mention again, Ken, Ken Bailey, um, he says, because of its inverted structure, the ancient reader of the psalm, he's talking about this psalm, the ancient reader of this psalm knew that the center is the climax. In other words, you think climax of a psalm end. Well, no, not here. The Hebrews did a lot with their structure to tell us what's important in a psalm and to give us other signals. And here, the structure is such that the middle is the climax. This verse is the middle, verse 4. And it's the climax of the psalm, but it's not the end. It's literally not the end. It's the middle of the psalm. The end, we walk out of this trough. So it's literally, this psalm is literally structured, if you can imagine a valley where you start up top and you're, the Lord is your shepherd and you're grazing and you're drinking and you're resting and you're being rescued and then you descend down into the valley here at the trough, okay? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, um, it's, it's an artistic effect that's called mimesis where the, the structure of the poem is literally imitating what he's describing, which is we're in the valley here. There are valleys in life. Sometimes it's not, it could be when you're threatened with death. It could be when a loved one dies. Um, but it could also just be there are valleys and troughs in life that have the scent and the smell of death or where we are, things are being killed in us that need to die. And often that's through pain. It's, it's through pain that, and, and through even bits of the curse that God uses to, with his surgeon's knife to cut things off of us that need to go. It's in these valleys, in these deserts, that, that Jesus, our Lord and our shepherd, does this to us. But So you in the psalm, you walk down. This is the climax, verse 4. You walk down into this valley, and then you walk out of it, uh, back up to feasting at a table, having your head anointed, having your cup overflowing, being with God in his house forever. So death's not the end. Why? Because God is our shepherd, and that's what David says here. Um, death isn't the end, but it's the climax, and it's woven throughout our lives. It's not just something we're walking toward or end up in when we die and are buried six feet under. It's all around us, right? Death and little deaths surround us because we live in a broken world, and we are broken people, but we've been rescued and restored, and we are being made whole, and we're going somewhere good if indeed we're in Christ. Um, it's no, death is no longer a threat. Its stinger has been removed, to use a phrase from John Owen, the great Puritan, the prince of the Puritans, uh, as some call him. Death is a doorway for David through which uh, we walk to life, uh, through which we walk. Um, through, it's a doorway, excuse me, that we walk through to life with God that never ends, right? And that's where we ta- we're taken by David in uh, all the way to verse 6. Um, so the good shepherd turns death from an end into a passageway into a doorway that leads to feasting and unity life. Because for the Christian, um, because of Jesus and what he's done, because he has died for us in our place, um, and through his death, he's abolished the power of death and sin and Satan and hell. Death truly becomes a doorway through which we walk into seeing him face to face, being with him, him wiping away our tears and then giving us bodies that are impervious to death and giving us souls, completing what he started in us, giving us souls that not only have the power not to sin, but can no longer sin and no longer desire to sin. And he will indeed 
after we are remade, completely remake the worlds, remake the heavens and the earth. And so we will be in that new creation. But we have to walk through death's door to get there, right? So death becomes not this thing that we fear, but this thing that actually many Christians uh, who have their confidence in Christ look at death as, as just that, as the launching pad. Um, that's what Ruth, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, called her tombstone. It's my launching pad into life. And they see it as a doorway to, to, to green pasture and to far green fields and under a swift sunrise. Um, so like I said, um, there are valleys. One thing we extrapolate from this psalm is that there are valleys in life, right? It's here in the center as the climax of this psalm. David's not trying to get around it. You can't get around death. You have to go into it. And the trick is to be able to go through it, past it, and to walk up again into blessing, feasting, rejoicing, community, life. I mean, David doesn't just say, I end up living forever. He says, I'm going to God's house. That's where we end this psalm. How do we get there? Okay, let me see here. So... One thing, too, um, there are valleys in life. This life, there's a sense in which this life is a valley. We are in, as C.S. Lewis called it, the shadowlands. And, um, you know, God is our shepherd even in those. That's how the psalm starts. That's how the verse starts, right? Also, so also or even, look, verses one through three. Man, and that's, this is kind of what we think about when we think about this psalm a lot. He's my shepherd, and he leads me to green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He gives me food. He gives me drink. He lays me down. He gives me rest. He makes me feel safe and secure. He rescues me. He pulls me off from the cliff's edge. He rescues me out of the lion's mouth. But then even here, David says, hey, you could think he's my shepherd, but then he bolts and he runs when things get bad. But no, even here, also here in this valley, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the valley of deep darkness, as it could also be translated, even here, he's with me. He's with me. And we're going to get into some of that language in just a second that's, that's even more intimate than that. It's even more intimate than he's with me. That's not exactly what David says. If you look at the language, and we will. But where things get dangerous for me, where predators lurk and threaten my life, that's what happens to sheep in valleys, right? It's a place of danger. It's not just a place of where you literally die, stop breathing. It's a place in your life where you could be full of fear and uncertainty. You could lack direction. Um, and just think about all the different ways with COVID and uh, with uh, losing something, something or someone that you love, um, bank account going bye-bye, job going bye-bye, uh, health going bye-bye. This is scary stuff. Is God going to leave me? No. Is he punishing me? No. He's with me. He's leading me. He's going before me. This is part of life too, and he's not going to bolt. He sticks. He's always with me. He's going to take me out of here. He's working on me, right? He's with me. Even darkness is his light to him. Psalm 139. And you know, deep darkness or utter darkness can be just as scary and disorienting and hellish as death. I mean, that's Hell is described in various places, Matthew twenty two thirteen and twenty five thirty, just as two examples. Um, 
hell is described as, as just utter darkness. I mean, think about how when there are no lights, and that's hard for us to imagine because we, we have lights everywhere all the time because of electricity. But when you are in a place, like when you're underground and all the headlamps are off and you can't see your hand in front of your face, you don't know up from down, and there's no way you could do anything. You're totally incapacitated, but God's with you. Darkness is his light to him. He's got you. He's going to lead you out. So it's all around us. It's part of life. Um, this valley, it's not optional. It's sort of another... Um, it's sort of another just truth that's attached to the truth that we just talked about, which is this life is a valley, and in this valley, there in this life, there are many valleys. Um, but the valley isn't an option. You know, you can't... You, David in this psalm doesn't, which is a really has the contour of life about it, as I've, as I've said, he doesn't give you the option of moving from verses 1 and 3 to verse 5 and 6. He doesn't give you the option of going from green pastures and resting to hop over to death, hop over death and get to the feasting and the life forevermore. No, you have to walk, what, through it. Even though I walk through, through the valley, through the valley, we all have to walk through these valleys and through that valley of death. Um, you know, the Christian, uh, and the key is, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you are with me. That's, that's, that's the key. That's why David, um, I will not fear for you are with me, right? What is, what is the exact wording? Um, yea, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And we'll get to that for you're with me. You know, and I, let me just say it now so I don't have to get to it later. And David doesn't say, I won't be scared of most things, 99% of things I won't be afraid of, um, a lot of things I won't be afraid of. No, he says, I, won't fear, I will fear no evil. Two things there. One, he doesn't whitewash or sugarcoat evil. He calls it evil. It's evil. There are horrible, horrible things in this life that we ought to mourn. But two, he, he calls it what it is. It's evil, but he says, I'm not going to fear it. I'm not going to fear any of it. I have good reason not to. And that good reason has a name, and his name is my shepherd. His name is my king. His name is my God. And in a word, his name is Jesus. You know, the Christian uh, is not lifted out of hard, painful, scary places. We, we see this here in this psalm. You can't hop over this little ravine, you have to walk through it, um, but he's going to be with us. You see it in, in the first psalm that David probably writes, Psalm 1, verse 3, that where a different image is given, um, not of a sheep, but the Christian as a tree, a tree planted by streams of water, what? Whose leaf does not wither and who bears fruit in season or in good time. Um, what, his leaf does not wither What's implied there is that the drought is going to come even to this tree. It's not going to be accepted from storm, from lack of water, from drought, but its leaf isn't going to wither. Why? It's not that the storm's not going to come. It's not that the drought's not going to come. The Christian's not accepted from these hard things. But what? The fruit will come in its time, in its season, and the leaf will not wither. Why? Because it's, it's, its root system is tapped into the water to the stream, into the Lord himself. God is with us. He's rooting us. He's grounding us. He's keeping us fruitful. He's keeping us from withering. He's going to walk us through this valley of the shadow of death with us. And 
you know, again, to return to, is God punishing you? No, we can often think that when we're going through the veil of death, that God is castigating us. But that's not the word that um, David speaks to us here. We have to walk through it, and he's with us. Derek Kidner puts this succinctly and beautifully and characteristically. Uh, He says, The dark valley or ravine is as truly one of his right paths, which he mentions in verse 3, right? You lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. The dark valley or ravine is as truly one of his right paths as are the green pastures of verses 1 through 3. A fact that takes much of the sting out of any ordeal. So he's with us. He's leading us into this right path of the valley of the shadow. We have to pass. Let's, let's put another spin. We have to pass through these places to get to the overflowing cup and the eternal life with our maker outlined in verses five through six. You can't hop over these things. They are some of the things that God uses to get us there. He didn't accept himself. He didn't accept his own son. His own son learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He was, quote, perfected or completed, is the Greek word, by being a man of sorrows, by tasting what we taste. And so he can be a great high priest because of it. He can relate. He knows what you're going through. He's with you. Um, and as I've said, the valley is unavoidable and characteristic of much of this life but it's not the end. It's not the end. It's right here in the middle of the poem. Um, And again, I think that one of the reasons it's smack dab in the middle is because it's a way of saying positionally that, that death and fear aren't on the periphery of our lives. They're not on the edges. They're right in the middle of this broken world. Um, What did Jesus say? He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Um, we, we, we encounter fear and pain and the ravages of death at every turn in our lives. And, and you know, America has, has um, in the past few decades, gotten really, really good at uh, pretending like it, sort of trying to erase and minimize pain and death and discomfort. But um, I think 2020 woke us up to the, the charade that that is. Um, valleys and the fear and pain that they, that they bring run like veins throughout our lives. They must be gotten through, walked through with our shepherd at turns leading us and by our side. But these valleys aren't the destination, are they? They're gotten through on the way to somewhere good. And all this that David's saying really harks back to the, the Exodus and, the, and Sinai and the desert for 40 years where God, like a shepherd, led his people and took care of them. And he's with us here in this middle place, in these shadow lands, as we sojourn uh, between slavery that we've been delivered out of in Jesus Christ and the promised land, uh, the new heavens and new earth where we'll see him face to face. Um, He can take us there because he entered into death and beat death through dying, right? Took our place. And so we don't have to pay that penalty anymore. The penalty of lawbreakers, the penalty of sinners, um, sinning against a God of justice and holiness and perfect compassion and goodness. Jesus 
paid that price for us. And he kept the law for us. And he died the death of a lawbreaker because that's what we are. And so he removed that stinger from death. And so in him, with faith in him, we are both forgiven of our sins, counted righteous with his righteousness, and uh, death no longer holds us, no longer has any power over us, nor sin. Though we continue to sin and confess it to the Lord, right? But we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so when we die, he will meet us and grab our hand and take us to where he is. And, you know, in Revelation 1, he meets John and says, I'm the living one, and behold, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. And so he, op- he can open the door to death and to hell. As, uh, even if Satan tries to put you in there, if you're in Christ by faith, he simply opens the door and leads you out. And he bought those keys with his blood. The most common tombstone in the Roman era declared, I was not, I was, I am not. I was not. So there's a time in which I wasn't, and then I was, my life, but then I am not. And if that's true, if that's our full story, I was not, I was, I am not. In other words, I died and I'm no more. And that's it for us. Then the I was part is completely completely erased, completely without meaning to return to what we started with. Um, death isn't a magical thing. Some people romanticize death and talk about how wonderful I was with an, an Old Testament, a New Testament scholar in a debate once, and they talked about death as if it was an inviting good thing. No, death is a product of sin, and we die the first death to head into the second death. That's where we're going, to be eternally undone, unraveled. And uh, it's, it's a horrible, terrible, evil thing. But in Jesus' resurrection, says Paul Miller, where death once ruled, the Father creates life through the Spirit. Because Jesus has blown the doors off of death. And his resurrection has proven that death has no power over him, and we in him by faith, death has no power over us. Tertullian, um, just a few quotes here as I close. The, The third century church father said, If we believe in the resurrection of Christ, we believe in our own also, since it was for us that he died and rose again. In other words, um, he didn't die for himself. He didn't need to die. He wasn't a sinner. Why did he die then? He died for you. And why did he rise? He didn't rise for himself. He, he, just like he didn't die for himself, he rose for you. His rising, again, is proof that, you're, that your sins have been paid for, that you've been declared vindicated, if indeed you look to Christ as your Lord and Savior and as your substitute and as your king. Alan Kreider, Harvard scholar, uh, former Mennonite pastor, comments, Christians don't need to fear death or be weighed down by grief. For death, doesn't, hey, he didn't say we don't grieve. Is that we don't, we're not weighed utterly down by it, right? For death is only, quote, the beginning of a journey, end quote. And those who have gone ahead will be missed, but need not be mourned. Death inevitably leads to lonesomeness, but patience alleviates it. The, Christian, the Christian's lifestyle is rooted in hope. And he says that in a book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Now, I might take an exception when he says they need not be mourned. We do need to mourn. We need to mourn with those who mourn, but not as those with no hope. Not as those with no hope. We have a great hope that's firmly rooted, that gives our lives meaning indeed, that makes of death something we walk through, not into, and then the gates are closed forever because Jesus is the key master and he has risen.
So in closing, you know, just a, some questions. What did you fear in 2020? These are questions for you as you wash the dishes or walk the dog or, or in the car or taking a shower or whatever you do when you're listening to this stuff. Um, and move into here, move from here into some time with the Lord. What are you fearing now? Uh, what did you fear last year, COVID 2020 year? What are you fearing now? Maybe getting COVID. Maybe you're past that. Maybe not. Vaccine hasn't been, been, been given out to most. Getting sick or dying or losing someone, losing a job, a broken economy, um, the, the party that you didn't vote for, maybe, um, in power, a broken country, the wrong, yeah, the wrong party taking office, the country turning Marxist, the church turning Marxist or going after a pseudo gospel. Um, are you afraid of any of these things? He's with you in these places. I will fear no evil right? For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's not going to leave you. What is the eye of your heart fixed on? Are we fearing those things that I mentioned or something else or the good shepherd? Be honest, right? Um, Be honest and repent if we're fearing any of those things and looking, if we were looking to any of those things to save us, whether it be our job or our health or somebody else, or a good economy, or the right political party, or, you know, America. No, those things, those things will, will fail us. But, but our good shepherd is the only one who can truly cause us to fear no evil as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And blessed be the thing that God has brought into our lives that has shaken our hope in anything but him, our false confidence, that has given us a confidence in the face of death. Nothing can give us confidence or should get us, give us confidence in the face of death but the good shepherd, but the one who has died in our place and who has beaten death and sin and hell and Satan. Um, another place that the Hebrew word shadow of death appears is in Isaiah 9-2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, that's the same Hebrew word, on them has light shone. And we find the fulfillment of of this word, this light in John 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus says, yeah, I'm the light that Isaiah prophesied about 700 years ago. When all other lights have gone out, he is the light. And he's going to lead us through the deepest darkness of death itself because he's been there. And he emerged and he's going to take us that way. And if we're not in Christ, then no matter how little we have to fear in this life, we have everything to fear because we're headed toward death. And death will be the end, which will never end for us. That is, that is the truth. You can take that to the bank. And any meaning you're conjuring up for yourself in this life is a false meaning. Death annihilates it. Your life is truly without meaning and worse. You'll wish you'd never been born. If indeed you don't run to the good shepherd, to the, one who, to the only one who can take you through death's veil. And you know, I'm not going to spend too much more time talking about um, the rod and the staff. You know, David extrapolates, doesn't he? He says, I will fear no evil. Why? 
um, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And he's talking, he's basically saying, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And you're the good shepherd. And what do good shepherds do? David was a good shepherd. He knew this. He talked about, he, he said to King Saul before going to fight Goliath, he didn't even mention his sling. His sling was the thing that he, that he knocked out Goliath with. But, but what he said to Saul is that, hey, when a bear would come or a lion would come and steal a sheep and, and uh, start to grab it in its mouth, I would run up and grab that, the lion by the mane or grab the sheep by the beard, and I would take my rod. That's the same word he uses there. Um, when he says this to Saul, I would take my rod in First Samuel seventeen thirty four and thirty five, and I would and I would kill the lion or the bear. It was a rod is something that shepherds around the world still use today. It's about a two and a half foot, so like kind of a, like a meter long, um, hard handle with a knob on the end, and sometimes like a nail sticking out of the knob, and you can just really beat the beat the life out of something with it, and it's to protect the sheep and to steal them from the ravening jaws of death. And Jesus did that by laying his own life down, John 10, for you. He had your name on his heart when he did that. And, uh, and, the, and the staff is, is a protective thing. It, it leads the sheep to nourishment and to pasture. And to put, it puts them in really favorable, good places to feed and drink. And it also rescues them from precarious places, from falling over cliffs and getting them out of crags and stuff like that. Um, and, and Jesus is a good shepherd. And we know that even if he puts us, uh, he's putting us in places. Even if we're, if we're in that place, we can know that he's put us there and that he will extract us the minute that we need to be extracted. And I just want to close with um, this, this idea, this truth that it's, and you see this in the psalm. I'm not pulling this out of thin air. I hope I'm not pulling any, any of this out of thin air, but rather that this is, it's just an unfolding of this beautiful verse here stuck in the middle of this beautiful comforting but very real psalm and that is this that it's in the valley that we often grow the most and, and i told you i'd get to this and, and now i'm getting to it but david doesn't say for he is with me he says for you are with me right i will fear no evil for you even in even as i walk through death i won't fear any evil why for you're with me and then he extrapolates right your rod and your staff they comfort me he doesn't say for he is with me and why do I emphasize that? So what? Well, he's, this is the, he's been saying, he's been referring to God in the third person until now. But here in verse four, for the first time, he turns to God as it were. He's been speaking about God. He leads me in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet water. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And he turns to God as he walks through death. And he says, hey, you, you are with me. There's something about being scared, being in pain, feeling the effects of death, knowing that we're walking toward death, being real about the fact that Moses, the man of God, says in Psalm 90 that, hey, uh, teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. In other words, help us to realize that we are, we're not going to last forever. We might last to our 70 or if by reason of strength, 80. But I mean, we got to get it. Realizing that helps, it humbles us and helps us get our house in order and go, okay, what? So, so what is the answer? How can I have meaning in life? I have to have an answer for death. And the answer is, and the only way to not hop over death, because none of us came but to walk through it and out through it into feasting and life, which is where we're headed in verses five and six, is to go through the gatekeeper, is to go through the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep, who's the only way to the father. He's the only way to find pasture. 
He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He's defeated death. And, uh, and David, there's an intimacy with which David addresses God for the first time in the psalm, and I don't think it's an accident that he does that here at the lowest point, here as he walks through Death Valley. And so I just want to encourage you that don't let the pain and the penumbra of death and the realization that you're mortal and that you're heading somewhere and that you're going to die, don't, don't miss that blessing. Don't miss the nearness of God that he will use all this stuff to bring you into. Um, he, he draws close to us as we draw close to him. And I pray that in the pain, instead of just trying to get through it, you would let the pain push you close to, to him. Um, to ask the hard questions and know that he is the answer and that he gives meaning to life even as we pass, pass through death's veil here in life, these shadow lands, um, that he gives meaning and color and true hope, a firm hope to this life and that some of the sweetest moments can be some of the hardest. Um, he's with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God bless you.